All right. Good to be with y'all tonight. Let me take care of a little bit of uh, housekeeping real quick. This is sort of a personal issue, but I do need your help. Does anybody know where my daughter is? She's, is she, she's on the playground. Okay. And Lori's in the nursery. Okay. Thank you. Just making sure. Um, you know, well, when you're the pastor, you have some responsibilities, and sometimes those responsibilities may compete with your other responsibilities as dad. Um, one of our three kids is uh, uh, under the weather with a little stomach bug, so Lauren's at home with Bo. Normally, Lauren's keeping up, but then I was playing the drums, and I was like, I see one of my kids. Where's my other kid? So I figured that might be the case. Thank you. Thank you. You know how parents in the room, you know how it is. You're off somewhere. You're like, one, two, I'm missing one. Yeah. Well, good. Thank you. Um, we're in 2 Corinthians tonight. Why don't you turn there with me? 2 Corinthians, and we'll actually be in chapter 5, a, uh, a highlight chapter of 2 Corinthians, in my opinion. Um, some of you, as I look around the room, I can see a few. Some of you are doing a, a Bible reading plan along with me. We introduced it at the very beginning of the year, and uh, it's a pretty intensive plan where you read through the whole Bible in a year, and you do that through five readings per week. So each time you sit down to a reading, you've got four chapters, sometimes five chapters. Some days, maybe if you're in too much of a hurry, you have six chapters, and you wonder if you're going to be able to make it. But uh, we're, uh, we're almost through the ninth month of the year, and so we're uh, made a lot of headway. I mentioned that because I read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this past week. Uh, that's where I'm at in the plan. I'm pretty well right where I'm supposed to be, maybe a day or two behind, I don't know. But uh, as I read 2 Corinthians 5, I took my little ink pen and I looked at my Bible reading plan, which is just four different sheets full of long list of tiny scripture references. But when I read a chapter that really touches my heart, I take my pen, I just underline that chapter. And it's just a record. I don't know how long I'll keep that sheet of paper or what I'll do with it. But as I look back over the course of the year, there's probably been maybe 10 occasions where, man, I just, the, a passage really meant a lot. I was in Psalm 128 the other day, and man, it spoke to me. I remember underlining that one. So 2 Corinthians 5 touched my heart this week, and uh, really piggybacking off of one of the themes from our sermon together this morning, the idea of living on mission, right? We're going to look at that a little bit more in detail here from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I really wasn't sure what I was going to preach tonight as we came into the weekend, but I did tell Lauren, you know, St. Corinthians 5 touched my heart this week. I'm sure I can put some thoughts together uh, from that chapter. If you were here this morning, we, uh, we looked at the story of the Gerasene demoniac, a man possessed by a legion of demons um, there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He was approached by Jesus and his team of disciples on one fateful day. We read about it from Mark chapter 5. And as Jesus and his disciples get off the boat, the demoniac comes down. There's sort of a confrontation, this sort of pseudo-worship where he bows before Jesus. I don't want to rehearse the whole thing all over again. Most of you were here this morning. But what we noticed in that passage, after the man's life was radically changed, okay, he was saved, he was delivered from demonic captivity. After that was the case, the man wanted to go with Jesus, presumably to join his band of disciples and just to be with Jesus all the time, go with Jesus wherever he was going to go. But Jesus, Mark 5 told us, would not permit him to do that. Instead, Jesus said, go home and tell your friends about what I have done for you, about the great mercy that you have received. And the last verse of that passage, Mark 5, 20, gives a little summary statement that says, and that's exactly what he did. 
He was proclaiming the gospel message there in an area known as Decapolis, which was actually a collection of 10 different uh, ancient Palestinian cities that were ruled by the Roman Empire. And so I really got a kick out of that section of the sermon about being on mission. And as we read from 2 Corinthians 5 tonight, I think you'll be able to discern very easily where mission comes into uh, play here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So uh, with that being said as sort of uh, an, uh, an introduction, let's read from 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read verses 10 and 11, and then we'll skip ahead maybe down to verse 18 or so. The whole chapter is fantastic, though. The first half deals with earthly body, dying, heavenly body, and that, that, that thing we all think about sometimes, uh, the weakness of the earthly body, the power of the heavenly body. So the first half would be a great funeral passage of Scripture or something like that. But then the second half deals with what we call the ministry of reconciliation. Now, as I say that phrase, it sounds really good. It sounds kind of important. Almost sounds like something, well, that'd be a special person who was called to be a minister of reconciliation. Well, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, the ministry of reconciliation. A ministry I think we could summarize by saying life on mission for Jesus Christ. So look at me at 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 10 where God's Word says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what's due for what he has done in the body, whether that's good or evil. Every single one of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What's the judgment seat? The judgment seat was a seat in the ancient world upon which a governor, for example, would sit and make an important decision about a case Someone's, someone's future and life would be hanging in the balance. And so you picture a heavenly scene. Our life here is over, and our great governor in heaven, Jesus, will pronounce a verdict on our life. So we will appear, all of us, not just the people in this room, not just the people who go to church or who profess salvation. Everybody will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, look at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You see the sense of mission on display here. Y'all, because we're going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we need to tell people about Jesus. We need to seek to persuade others. Verse 10 and 11 tells us. Now, look ahead to verse... Um, we'll start in verse 17. It's not really about what I want to preach about but it's one of the great gems of 2 Corinthians. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. If anybody here has a testimony, can you say amen to that verse? Amen. Now, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us. Notice the word reconciled. He reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, God the Father made God the Son, to be sin even though he knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. What a passage. What a passage. Can I share with you a little bit about the ministry of reconciliation? Right? We've been reconciled. We've been given the message of reconciliation. Now we're to be ministers and we're to persuade others. We're to implore people be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Let me share with you what I think are just three very simple ways of describing a life on mission for Jesus. Number one, live sent. Live sent. Live as though you've been commissioned. Jesus told his followers... And really, by implication, us as well today, as the Father sent me, so also I am sending you. Brother, sister, you've been sent out on a mission. You've been sent on a mission, and sometimes it's easy to forget that. You know, every now and then, uh, you married folks will understand this. Sometimes your wife sends you to the store to go pick up something. Well, what if you get to the store and, uh, I don't know, you see some, uh, some uh, lawnmower, you know, and you get distracted and you say, man, that's a pretty nice lawnmower. That's got a 60-inch cutting deck on it. Mine's only 54-inch deck. I wish I'd have waited a year. I just did that this past week. And before you know it, you've forgotten to pick up the milk and the eggs. You were sent on a mission, but you got distracted by other interests or other pursuits. It happens all the time. Unfortunately, it also happens all the time in churches, in the lives of God's people. We've been given a mission. We've been sent, so we ought to live that way, in verse 18, we're told that Christ reconciled us and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's one way I think I can put it. Everybody understand. You have been sent on a mission trip. Your life as a child of God is a mission trip. A lot of times we think about a mission trip and we go, well, hey, that's something you do maybe one week a year or two weeks a year. You get prepared for that. You get your passports. You gather up your support, whatever you need to make that trip. You take care of your affairs back home so you can be gone for 10 days or however long that is. And you go on that mission trip. And while you're there, every day is just devoted serving Jesus, serving God's people, serving the world, telling lost people about him. And so you just pour it all out for 10 days. And then you come home and, and hopefully continue to live on mission. But all of our lives is a mission trip. All of us. We are ambassadors for Christ, Paul says here in this passage. Here's the logic of this first point. God reconciles us and then in turn gives us a ministry of reconciliation. Ministry means work or it means service, right? Gives us a job to do, and then he gives us the message by which to do it. He reconciles us, gives us the ministry of reconciliation, and then he gives us the message of reconciliation. Now, what's reconciliation? It's making peace between two people who are at odds. And so, brother, sister, let me just picture this for you as simply as possible. Before you got saved, you and Jesus weren't all right. Even if you behaved pretty well by worldly standards, 
No, the Bible says we were at enmity with God before we knew Jesus Christ. That, that means enemies. Things weren't okay. We, not, we may not have felt his judgment or scorn or his discretion toward us, but the Bible says outside of Christ, before we get saved, we are at enmity with God. Reconciliation removes the enemy status of our relationship with God because of our sin, our unholiness, our lostness, and our brokenness, and it establishes instead peace between us and God so that when we do sit at the judgment seat, there is peace, not a relationship of enmity. We've been reconciled because of what Jesus has done for us. And then in turn, God gives us a ministry of reconciliation. Romans 5.10. So the Apostle Paul was the instrument God used to write letters like first and here tonight, 2 Corinthians. We also believe he wrote the book of Romans. Listen to this verse from Romans 5, verse 10. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled, will we be saved by his life? It wasn't as though we were enemies and God said to us somehow, all right, enemy, if you'll be really good for about a year, if you'll quit hanging out with those bad influences for a few months, right? If you'll, if you'll pay back those debts that you have, if you'll apologize for the wrong way you've treated others, then maybe we can work out a deal and be reconciled. That's not how it works. It wasn't while we got our act together, then we were reconciled. It was while we were still enemies. This is completely start to finish a work of God's grace. Unearned, unmerited, given freely. God's precious grace. We have been reconciled and now we've been given the task of helping other people find peace with God. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Let me tell you something. Your precious family and friends who maybe you believe are not Christians, they do not have peace with a holy God. They need to be reconciled. That's why Paul would say in this passage, we seek to persuade others. We implore you, be reconciled. Be reconciled. The message that God has given to us by which we do this work of reconciliation is the message of the gospel. God's commissioned every single one of us. Let me, let me just say that again. I'm afraid we hear it so often. It just kind of rolls over us, okay? God has sent us. We are therefore to live in a sent fashion to tell people about Jesus. And so if we're not doing that, we're not living our lives the way God intends for us to live our lives. And to the degree that there's a disconnect there, y'all, we're not finding our, our purpose, our fulfillment. We're not, we're not being empowered the way God would wish to empower us. We must live in a sent fashion because indeed we have been sent. I'll never forget the first mission trip that I've been on. I mentioned mission trips earlier. I have no problems with mission trips. I think that they are wonderful things and they can stir the heart of a child of God. They can do good all over the planet where we go and we send the gospel. But let me tell you about the first mission trip that I ever went on. It was to the country of Ukraine. Um, I was a uh, sophomore in college at the time and, buddy, I was excited. I mean, I was on a mission trip. This was for real. This was serious Christianity. And we went out. 
into these villages in rural Ukraine. I was young, but I was the only person on our team. We split up in all these little different teams so we could cover so many different towns and villages. I was the only person on my team that felt any sort of comfort preaching. And so I was not a preacher at the time. I was a college student, but I went out and preached. It was one of the first experiences I had of preaching. Everywhere we went, I preached. All these little church services. We, we would go into people's homes. They heard there were Americans in town. They wanted to meet us. We'd be in the middle of their home, and they'd all look at me and go, all right, tell them. Tell them what you came here to tell them. And, y'all, I shared the gospel more in five days in those rural villages than in 20 years that I had lived up to that point. And so it was a wonderful experience. And yet I remember, so... You know, you ride in little buses, you ride in tiny diesel cars, you ride on trains, you, 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 you go do all sorts of different transportation. So we're on a train and we're riding through this area in rural Ukraine for like 10 hours. And, and the whole way back, we're heading back to a bigger city, we'd hop on a plane and come back to our homes. But the whole train ride, I could not shake this feeling of, Deke, when you get back home, are you going to continue to tell people the way you had to travel all the way across the world to tell people. And I had this great fear in my heart, just being honest with myself. I didn't think that I was, and I felt like a hypocrite. The devil was after me. We are on a mission trip today, here. Now, I don't, I don't mean to denigrate people who actually, by vocation, are missionaries, who give up everything and move across the world. Yes, that's different, okay? I don't want to say it's the same, Nonetheless, we have been sent and given a message and given a work to do. It's the work of reconciliation. So live sent. Let me share with you a second point tonight that I think will help us to live on mission. Represent well. I'm trying to make these as simple as possible. Live sent. And now secondly, represent well which is to say represent Jesus well. Wherever you go, whatever you're up to, be kind, be a person of conviction, be considerate of other people, represent Jesus well. Now, why do I say that? Look at me at verse 20. Paul says, therefore. In other words, he's kind of making a concluding point. He's talked about reconciliation. And then he makes this connection, this application in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That means representatives. Everywhere we go, it might as well say on our T-shirts, I'm here to represent Jesus. Now, that doesn't work well when you're chewing out your server at Applebee's, okay? I'm here to represent Jesus. Well, Jesus is kind of mean. If, if that's how we represent him, if, if we're self-centered, if we're not thoughtful towards others, if, if, we, if we allow temptation into our life because it just gives us a little kick, I don't know. We're not representing Jesus well. We are ambassadors and we represent Jesus in a way that's similar to how a security guard works at a guard gate outside some big complex. There's only one way in and one way out, and it comes through that little guard shack. Every person we meet is as if they drive up to our guard shack, and we represent Jesus. And we have the opportunity to invite them in or not to. 
And we've been called by Jesus to be ambassadors. Brothers and sisters, there's one thing that stands between lost people that you meet and a relationship with God, and that's you. You represent Jesus. You are the Christ this community sees. Represent him well. If that, if that causes you to shudder, if that scares you, it does me a little bit. Y'all, that sobers me up real quick. What, you mean, you mean I represent Christ to people? Yeah. Pray and say, God, help me represent you well. When people look at me, I don't want them to see perfection. I want them to see grace covering my life because that's who Jesus is. I don't want them to say, that man knows Jesus. I want to know Jesus like that man knows Jesus. Your job in every situation, every conversation, is to lift up that little, that little gate that lets people in. You're, the, you're, you're working the guard gate. You lift it up. Now, you can't make them come in. They may not come in, but, but you lift the gate and you say, come on in. Come on in. We're to live sent and we are to represent Jesus well. We are God's personal representatives on the earth. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be an outpost of heaven with citizens of heaven living in foreign territory, showing the world what heaven's supposed to be like. We are God's representatives. We are Christ to the Christless. We are not ambassadors for the Baptist faith. We are not ambassadors of ourselves. We're not ambassadors of our programs, our numbers, our style, our methodology, our philosophy of ministry. We're ambassadors for Christ. And so we represent him. As you think about telling someone else about Jesus, about showing Christ and his grace by how you live your life, ask yourself this question. When is it that people tend to come out of their shells and just be themselves, right? When is that? Because that's what we want. We don't want to be little hermit crabs who whenever a lost person comes by, we shudder and shrink into our little shell because it's safe there and we're comfortable there. And when we think they're gone, we sneak out again. No, Jesus says, don't hide your light. Let your light shine. What is it? that gets people to come out of their shells. I can think of a few things. There's, I'm sure there's more. Here's a few that I thought of. Well, first of all, when we have really good news to share. We don't mind sharing when we have really good news. I'll never forget. I think I've told you all this before, but if you're like me, you forgot, and it'll just strike you all the same as if it were the first time you heard it. I remember being at a church meeting up in uh, Kentucky. Now, Kentucky's a different place from South Georgia, and in one really big way. Football, eh, they like it. Basketball is what they're passionate about in Kentucky. Trust me. I remember being in church service one time. It was one of those fifth Sunday night community services. We had folks from what they call the Christian church. We had a couple different Baptist churches, and, and we were, had a Methodist church there. We were meeting in our church, and the Methodist minister in town was standing in the pulpit explaining how we were going to take up an offering, and that offering was going to go to benevolence work there in our small community. And while he is sharing from the pulpit... In the middle of this church service, a man stands up and says, Kentucky just beat Kansas, and he called out the final score. <laughs> and if any of you think, well, 
you know, did anybody, did anybody look at him and say, we're in church, that's not important? No, they didn't. They clapped. <laughs> they clapped. They said, woo, go cats. That's what they said. The guy didn't mind standing up and potentially making a fool of himself because he had good news to share. Y'all, we got good news to share too. But there's this way that the devil works on us, our psyche just, just uh, betrays us, and we don't share the good news. Because, I don't know, we, we think people don't want to hear it. We think maybe we're not adequate to give it. we got to get out of our shells. When we have really good news, when there's an emergency, we don't mind getting out of our shells. Now, it's rare, for example, that I would just meet some stranger and tap them on the back to tell them something. But what if we were at the gas station and I watched a man's wallet fall out of his back pocket? Of course, I would interrupt his day, not knowing him whatsoever, and say, Sir, you just dropped your wallet. And he'd be glad to know. Y'all, we got better news than that you need to get your debit card replaced. Jesus saves. He saves people that we run into every single day. And tell you what, what else will get people to come out of their shells when you get them talking about something that they're passionate about. Could it be, God help us, that there are church members who don't share Jesus because truth be told, they're just not very passionate about Jesus. We are to represent him well. You know, it's amazing to me. Our passage says that God makes his appeal through us. God reaching through us to touch the world. I'm amazed he uses any of us, myself included, but that's what he's chosen to do, making his appeal through us. God is preaching a sermon to the world through us. The sermon is Jesus saves. Let me share with you a final point this evening about living on mission we are to live sent, we are to represent well, and we are to be passionate. Passionate. Look at verse uh, 20. Notice what Paul says, second, second half of the verse. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Implore. The word in the Greek is a word which means to beg. We beg you, be reconciled to God. I'll give you, for instance, uh, there's a story of a beggar who approached Jesus in Luke chapter 5. It says, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man to him full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, this leper fell on his face and begged him. Same word in the Greek as our word implore here in 2 Corinthians 5.20 and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand. He touched the man. He says, I will be clean. We need passion in our life. When the Holy Spirit touches us, we feel the passion. When God uses us, we are a vehicle for 
the passion. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 10, 1, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That ought to be our life verse regarding every lost person that we know. My heart's desire and my prayer is that they, need, that they may be saved. Guys, here, here's what we need. To, to live on mission, we need to be on fire for Jesus. If you've known him long, you may remember a time in your life when you were on fire for Jesus. What's it look like to be on fire for Jesus? Here's what it looks like. You think about him. You think about his word. You spend time pr- praying because you're just passionate. It's what's on your mind. And if that's not what's been on your mind, well, let me tell you, you're not on fire for Jesus. Instead, when we ought to be just burning with passion for God, passion to reach the lost, so many of our churches appear to be just a few souls holding up a tiny little lighter. When we want the flames to rise up and and people can see that we are on fire for Jesus. God, would you give us a passion for the lost? They're all around us. They're all around us. And they need Jesus. And here's what I believe. I think in reaching the world, God has a secret weapon that many of us have never considered. When it comes to your friend and you're not sure if they know Jesus, maybe you are sure and you're sure they don't, God's got a secret weapon that maybe you've never considered to reach that person. It's you. You are the secret weapon with the unlimited power of the Holy Spirit in your life. God making his appeal through you. You are the secret weapon. Would you pray that way for your friends and your family? Would you think about them that way? Would you have a confidence that says God can reach this person? I don't believe our churches need more or less of anything, more programs, more whatnot. What our churches need is to be on fire for Jesus. And that starts one heart at a time. Let me invite you to bow your heads tonight. As we close just in a time of reflection, in a time of prayer, with every head bowed, let me just give you a space for a moment before we depart tonight to see what God would have from you. You're here tonight. That tells me something about you. It tells me you love the Lord. Tells me that you're you're seeking to be faithful with your life. God bless you for that. Would you pray with me tonight that God would give you a passion for lost people? Would you just let that be the silent prayer of your heart tonight? What a mighty thought. A sanctuary of people praying that God would give us a passion for lost people. Not to condescend them, not to look down on them, but to open wide a door of hospitality, a door of grace that lets them know in no uncertain terms, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. Maybe there's someone in your mind's eye that you can pray for before we leave. You've prayed, you've asked God to give you a passion. Let's pray for a person. Would you take just a moment? Would you pray for a person? 
Would you bring their name before the Lord tonight and say, God, would you save them? Use me, Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to consider together the life on mission to which you've called each one of us. God, would you bless this assembly now as we leave? Lord, we leave in a mission field. Would you bless us now as we seek to represent you well and tell others about Jesus? We pray that in his name, the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. It's been a great day in the Lord's house. You're dismissed.